So we turn our attention this evening to Parshas Balak, and the beginning of Parshas Balak is, I would say, quite easy to describe in a general sense. Uh, Balak sees the destruction that uh, the Jewish people brought upon the Amori. Uh, he's the king of Moab. They themselves are f- afraid that they're next, and therefore they uh, requisition, <coughs> solicit the services of uh, Bilam to curse B'nai Yisrael, which of course uh, works out very badly for him, very well for us, as the balance of the Parsha describes. <coughs> Having said that, and as is so often the case, things that are very easy to describe generally, if you look closely at the Psukim, we see that a somewhat more a nuanced picture emerges. <coughs> and we begin with some classic questions, if you have the, the psukim available. So the, the parsha begins in Pasuk Beis, which is, of course, a, a mistake on the part of those who divide it into, into chapters. That's not a Jewish division, as we know. So not only were they not Jewish, <coughs> they also had the misfortune of being uh, Amaratzim and uh, not always... Um, uh, sensitive to when the parsha actually begins, so they began uh, chapter twenty-two at the end of parshas Chukas. Either way, for ease of reference, of course, we always do refer to the to those chapters, and the parsha thus begins in pasuk beis. So pasuk beis <coughs> says, "Vayar Balak ben Sipor. Balak sees everything that Yisrael did to the Amori. Okay. Who's Balak? Where, where does he come from? Well, he's, he's the king of Moab. The next two psukim, Gimel and Dalet, do not tell us anything or do not refer to Balak. They describe Moab. Vayagar Moab mipnei ha'am. Moab is, a, is very afraid. And Vayakots Moab, and they were also repulsed by Bnei Yisrael. And likewise, again, Pasuk Dalet, Vayomer Moab Midian. Moab says to Midian, all sorts of uh, calamity will ensue. They'll inflict uh, all, all forms of uh, damage upon us. So we started out by referring to Balak, and then we seem to have left him behind. And we talk about Moab. <coughs> it isn't until Pasuk Hey that... Balak is back in the picture. That is Balak's doing. So we have an almost like a like a, a, a Moab sandwich, in the sense that uh, we start with Balak, and then move to Moab for Tupsukim, and then come back to Balak. So it's a, a, a palindrome almost. But what is the meaning? I mean, the two presumably are one and the same. It's also interesting that the Torah gives us a bit of background information about Balak in the end of Pasuk Dalet. <coughs> Balak ben Sipor, melech lemoav ba'esahi. Balak, he was the king of Moab at that time. Rashi gives us uh, a, a bit more of the background. He was not a natural king of Moab. He actually, he was originally one of the generals of Sichon, Malachar but when they got obliterated, so he changed careers and became the king of Moab. But what's interesting is, it tends to be the way of the Torah, 
that if there's something to say in description of a personality who's being uh, mentioned or discussed, <coughs> that will happen at the very beginning. Uh, think back to Yisro. Vayishma Yisro, and as soon as we hear Yisro, we get the whole, all of his credentials. Chosen Moshe, Kohen Midian, everything you need to know about him is told to you from the beginning. That seems to be the more intuitive uh, way to present people. And yet here, it's not that way. In keeping with uh, that approach, the Pasuk should have said, Vayar, Balak, Ben Sipor, Melech Moav, etc., etc. So why is background information to Balak not given to us until four Psukim in to the Torah? These are the questions that uh, arise from a bit of a closer look at these opening Psukim. They're questions that are raised by many, Mepharshim, and... Um, and we will take the approach this evening just to, uh, to guide us here of the Binole Itim. The Binole Itim, Rabbi Azaria Figo, or Feggio, <coughs> who was one of the great Italian um, Gedolim of the 1500s. He was a Rav in Venice and in Pisa, actually, for a while. And <coughs> his droshes, Binole Itim, are classics. But this is certainly one of those uh, situations or occasions where I, I mention or I, I broke the discussion as much for the questions it raises as for the answers that are given. Because to give the answers, you need to be the binole itim. But to raise the questions, anyone can, if only we are encouraged to look uh, just a little bit closer. And the way the binole itim explains, there actually was a bit of tension between Balak and Moab. And he's their king. They are his people. <coughs> but they were not in concert with each other. They were not in uh, sync with each other. And the reason why <coughs> is because Balak is not a natural Moabite. Which means the concerns of the Moabite people have yet to become his. And that's why when Pasuk Bey says, Vayar Balak ben Sipor, Balak sees everything Yisrael did to the Amori, and of course he saw everything Yisrael did to the Amori. He was one of the Amori when Yisrael did it to the Amori. I mean, he was there on the field. He's seen it firsthand. So he's aware of what B'nai Yisrael are capable of. And then, what does he do? The answer, apparently, is nothing. We find no initiative on Balak's part. And this itself was now cause for alarm on the part of the Moabites. Because he's their king. He's meant to be taking care of them. He's seen firsthand what the Jewish people are capable of, but he doesn't seem to be doing anything. And there was a feeling of disconnect between the people. You know, this is our new king, but he doesn't really seem to have our interests at heart. And that's why Moab themselves raised the alarm. And in fact, they were the ones in Pasuk Dalet, Vayomer Moab el Zikne Midian. The people themselves sent a delegation to the elders of Midian because they saw that Balak isn't doing anything and therefore they felt they needed to, to, to get involved in some type of <coughs> let, let, let the people speak. And thus Pasuk Gimel and Dalet describe to us the actions of the Moabite people not under the leadership of Balak, but rather taking things into their own hand. And that is why it is at the end of Pasuk Dalad that the Pasuk informs us 
Balak ben Sipor, Melech Lemoav Ba'esahi. If you wish to understand why there seems to be a disconnect between Balak and his people, you need to appreciate that Balak only became the king of Moab at that time. But prior to that, he wasn't, and that's why they felt he wasn't looking after them. That's why the Pasuk only gives you that information at that stage, because it only becomes necessary to explain Balak's background in light of the events as described in Pasukim, Bez, Gimel, and Dalet. And, and uh, interestingly, Pasuk Hay which finally does have Bullock sending a message to Bilam, that's Bullock, in a sense, catching up with his people. In other words, he himself didn't seem to be inclined to do much at all. But the people are, are sounding the alarm and they're getting hysterical and they're making conferences with the Midian, who used to be their enemies, but now they close ranks in face of this uh, greater enemy. And Bullock realizes <coughs> that he will, he will need to do something in order to almost uh, tag along with his people. And that's when he starts to take the initiative and sends to Bilam. So once again, psukim uh, that are easy to describe in, in such a, a general way, the closer you look, as is always the case, the more we leave Baruch Gadol from each and every pasuk. So the parsha moves on. Balak sends the message to Bilam, and Bilam has, a, has a, an interesting relationship uh, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to put it mildly. Uh, <clears throat> we'd call it a yes-no relationship, or more correctly, a, a no-yes relationship, in the sense that initially he, he asks for permission, and Hashem says no. And then they send a bigger delegation, and Bilam asks again, and then Hashem says yes. <clears throat> and this seemingly will lead us into a major concept, which is discussed by the Gemara in Masechus Makos. For the Gemara says that at the end of the day, as much as people should know what's right and wrong, but they do have the ability to choose, which means a person is not going to be obstructed at every turn from doing the wrong thing. In the words of the Gemara, <coughs> Bederech, well-known phrase in the Gemara, Bederech she'adam rotzei lelech, in the way that a person wishes to go, Molichenoso, that's the way they let him go. And, and a prime example of this concept seems to be really Bilam in the beginning of the Parsha. He knows the answer is no. He knows the answer is no because he asked and Hashem said no. But still he wants to go. For better or for worse, this principle exists. In, in the positive, of course, if a person wishes to do positive, they're led upon that path. <coughs> but even if a person wants to do the wrong thing, if that's the way they, they've shown that they're determined, they can also be led upon that path. And this we find in Pasuk Kaf, in Perik Kaf Beis, Pasuk Kaf, where... Hashem comes to Bilam, Vayavo Elokim al Bilam, Laila, he comes to him at night, Vayomelo, Imlekrolacha Bohu Anoshim, if these people have come to call you, Kum Lechitam, you want to go? You can go. Bederosh Adamurtse Lelech, Molichenosa. Rashi uh, often will quote such concepts from the Gemara to the extent that they're uh, relevant or pertinent to the Psukim. 
Here, interestingly, Rashi makes no comment. Uh, in Pasuk Kaf, when Hashem says to go, Rashi doesn't cite this idea that the way you want to go, that's the way they tell you to go. Apparently, Rashi doesn't feel that that idea is relevant for our understanding of the Psukim. But what's very interesting is, just a little bit later on, in Pasuk Lamed Hay, where we've had another Hakofa here, Bilam's on the way, and then you have the uh, whole episode with the, with the donkey, etc. And then what happens? Pasuk Lamed Hay, Vayomer Malach Hashem El Bilam. So the angel of Hashem says to Bilam, Lechem Hashem, go with them. And Rashi comments, you should know, says Rashi, there's a principle at play here. If a person shows that they're determined, they wish to go in a certain way, so then that's the way that they're enabled to go. So, of course, the question that we need to ask is that we seem to have already discovered or stumbled across this idea Earlier on, 15 psukim earlier, we've already had this. Originally, the answer was no. But he wants. So then Hashem says, okay, you can go. You've got to say what I tell you to say. But if you want to go, you can go. What does Rashi say at that juncture? Nothing. And then, lo and behold, 15 psukim later, we seem to have the same idea, right? Should he stay? Should he go? The Malo says, go. And Rashi says, oh, there's a principle here. It's in the Gemara. But there are shadamot and, and, and we're asking, I mean, we've, Rashi will always identify a principle, if it's relevant, uh, at the earliest possible opportunity. And that now becomes the question, why is it that Rashi uh, forwent the first opportunity in Pasuk Kaf and only invoked this principle in Pasuk Lamedhe? And uh, it's a classic Rashi question. And I'd like to present two answers from the Mepharshim, quite different from each other. Because this we do know. If, there's, if it ever happens that Rashi does not avail himself of the first opportunity to express a principle, but rather waits for a second, it, be, it can be because there's, there's something about that second instance which reveals more about the principle. That's worth waiting for. If it's the same principle earlier and later, then Rashi will go earlier. But if it comes out with greater potency, with, with, with greater uh, insight, then Rashi will wait to comment the second time. But how do we see that here? <clears throat> the truth is that even this idea, the way that a person wants to go, molichin oso, the literal translation of Molichin Oso is they move him, they bring him. He wants to go that way, and that's the way that they, they guide him. Now, that actually is more than the concept of Bechira. Bechira means a person has the ability to choose whichever path they choose. And if they choose one way, they're, they're able to choose that path. Being able to choose that path is quite different than being guided actively along that path. That is, that is a, a, a second level altogether. And how does this relate to us? <clears throat> because 
The first time, again, just to, just to have crystal clear the, the chain of events or the chronology of events, initially the answer was no. Bilam says, can I go to curse them? No. Subsequently, Bilam asks again, can I go? And Hashem says, yes, if you want to go, you can go. What would we call that? In a sense, of course, it's against the right decision, but it's Bilam's choice and Hashem allows it to happen. We do see a certain element of, if that's the way you want to go, so you can go. But it's nothing compared to what we'll see 15 psukim later on. Because after the whole episode with the donkey and the angel and the sword and the whole thing, at that point, Bilam actually expresses misgivings. Look at Pasuk Lamedalad. Vayomer Bilam el malach Hashem chatasi. Bilam said, I, I see that I'm in the wrong. I didn't know you were there. And now hear these words at the end of Pasuk Lamedalad. If it's really not a good idea, I'll, re- I'll go back. Amazing. Bilam at this point expressed his willingness to go back. Even though, of course, he doesn't want to go back. But he's up against forces that are, are more than he bargained for initially. The angel and the sword, that's a little bit uh, above his pay grade. And therefore, uh, Bilam says, if you want me to go back, I'll go back. And then the angel says, no, keep going. This is a much uh, more potent expression of the idea. Because not only have we seen that if he wants to go, Hashem lets him go. If he already considers going back, Hashem says, no, you should keep going. And that is called molichanoso. That's the way he really wants to go. And that is the way, albeit it, it doesn't end well for him. But you see the full impact of the concept of molichanoso. They move him because Bilam was being moved forward, even as he considered the, his preparedness to go backwards. And that is the first explanation as to why Rashi made his comment of molichanoso at the later Pasuk, where you see molichin and not at the earlier Pasuk, where you see perhaps materium that they would permit him to go. But there is another approach to these Psukim, which really will open up for us uh, a, whole, a whole new vista. And it begins with a classic question of Mepharshim. Again, the, the Mepharshim ask many of the same questions at the beginning of Parshas. Uh, because they really do cry out from the psukim. But what we see, again, initially Hashem says no, but then Bilam asks again and Hashem says yes, and Bilam goes, and then Pasuk Kafbez. Pasuk Kafbez reads, Hashem was angry with Bilam for going. And here Mepharshim asks, beginning with Rishonim, Ramban and others, if you've given him permission to go, and now he goes, so how can you be angry at him for going? I mean, you let him go. If the answer was and remained no, and he went anyway, that's grounds for anger. But for whatever reason, you've said yes, you did allow him, and he's, he's, he's acting based on permission. So where in the, is there room for anger? That is a question of Mepharshim. I have to say, I think the Balabatisha answer to that, to that question 
is that even though permission was given, but he should have known that it wasn't the right thing, and therefore Hashem was angry uh, when he went. Sometimes, even if the answer is yes at the end, but he should know that it's not a real yes, and, 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 if, and if it proceeds, it's not, it's not a good uh, situation. But the Vilna Gaon says something else entirely. And this is part of a general principle that the Vilna Gaon discusses again and again in terms of what we would call synonyms, what are known in Hebrew as milim nirdafot, two words which effectively sound like they mean the same thing. And the Vilna Gaon was adamant and, and dis, uh, discussed this on many, many occasions with many uh, different examples that there is no such thing as a synonym in Lashon HaKodesh. If there are two words for something, it's because they are two things. They may be similar to each other, but there's no such thing as two separate words that describe exactly the same thing. And what does that have to do with us? There is, in Lashon HaKodesh, there exist two words to denote being with someone. There is the word im and the word s. And we've seen many examples, if one only has to think of im, of course, means with, but so does s, A-C-R-Cove, and so on and so forth. And they both mean with. And the question is, why are there two words for with in Lashen HaKodesh? How many ways are there to be with someone else? Well, the answer, says the Vilna Gaon, is two. There are two types of togetherness. There are two types of being with someone. And one is denoted by the word S and the other by the word Im. How so? The word S, sometimes you can be together with someone, but you're only together with them in the most external of ways, meaning you're physically you are together with them, but you have nothing in common with them. If you imagine uh, people on a bus, they're, they're all together until further notice. But they're only together in the sense that they're on the same bus. But they have nothing to do with each other. And that type of togetherness, <coughs> physical togetherness, but no more, is called S. In proximity with each other, but with nothing in common. But there's another type of togetherness being with someone, which is you're with them in ideal, you're with them in outlook, you're with them in goal and in vision, you're, you're, you're with them completely. And that type of togetherness is called im. And with this in mind, says the Vilna Gaon, again, look closer at the psukim and you will see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu never changed his mind. From his first response, to the second, because if we go back to the first time that Bilam asked, which is in Pasuk uh, Yud Beis, in other words, Bilam has made his pitch on Balak's behalf to curse the Jewish people, and Pasuk Yud Beis says, "Vayome Elokim El Bilam, no, Lo Teleich Imahem, you cannot go." You cannot go together with them for their reasons, which is the only reason that you'd want to go. So if you want to go imahem, and that's for sure you do, so the answer is no.
in my hand. Okay. Then Balak asks again. And if we move forward to a half a dozen psukim or so, and we come to Pasuk Kaf, and this is the second time. And what does Hashem say? Vayavo Elohim el Bilam Laila. Hashem comes to Bilam. Vayom Elohim hanashim. If they've come to call you and you really want to go, you can go. Kum lech itam. You can go. Itam. With them. With them how? Lowercase with. Not capital with. You can, get, you can make the journey, but it can't be for their purposes. And that's why Hashem specifies and concludes, If you go with them, it's not for their purposes, it's for my purposes. You need to know that you're going to have to say what I want you to say. That's not called im. That's called s. I wouldn't recommend it, but if you want to go, that is... So there has been no reversal. Because the, the initial answer, lo telech imahem, stands. You cannot go with them for their reasons. You can go with them for my reasons, if you want. Kum lechitam. So these two responses are actually in consonance with each other. And then what happens? Pasuk kaf alef. Vayakam bilam baboker. Bilam woke up in the morning. Vayachavosh asasono saddles his donkey. Vayelech. Im sorry, Moav. A little bit got lost in translation there. Bilam wasn't uh, holding by the Vilnagon here. So that <coughs> when he hears that you can go with them, but S became Im. And he never had permission to go Im. Rashi has a wonderful comment on the words Vayelech Imahem. Im sorry, Moav. It says Rashi three words. Libo kelibam shaveh. His heart was like their heart. That is what Im looks like. And now we understand why Hashem was angry. And because we can no longer ask, why are you angry at him for going? You allowed him to go. That's not true anymore. Hashem allowed him to go Itam. He never allowed him to go Imahem. And Bilam, nonetheless, proceeded Vayelech Im Sarei Moav. So, so with this in mind, we go back again to Pasuk Lamed Hay, which is after the, the donkey and the angel. And the question is, should he go back? Should he, should he continue? And what do we see? Pasuk Lamed Hay, Vayomer Malach Hashem El Bilam, Lech Im Ha'anashim. This is the first time that he's being per- given permission to go Im ha'anashim. It never happened before. The first response was lo The permission was only lalechet itam. And when he went imahem, Hashem was angry. But it's reached a stage where he's shown that he is so determined and so adamant to go and curse B'nai Yisrael. Hashem says, you know what? At this stage, you can do what you want. It's not going to help you, but you can do what you want. Lech im ha'anashim. And that is why says the Sefer or Yosha, one of the classic uh, Mepharshim on Rashi, uh, very hard to come by volume, but um, the Rabbi Yomin Zev Hartman was his name. That's why Rashi waited till Pasuk Lamed Hay 
to express the principle, because when he was initially given permission to go itam, that's not the full it's really partial, it's only physical proximity, but not ideological uh, uh, unity. But the second time round, Hashem says, Lech im, im ha'anoshim. Im ha'anoshim, says Rashi, you see a principle here. That's the way he wants to go. That's the way they let him go. And I think, of course, mi yavo achar ha'melech, how, how can there be room to say anything uh, after the Vilna Gaon has spoken? And, and yet, I think there is another, uh, again, delicate point within, within these two psukim, which fits in perfectly with what the Vilna Gaon is saying. Look back again to Pasuk, where we will be comparing Pasuk Kaf and Lamed He. First permission, second permission. Now we've already seen first permission is for Itam and second is Imahem. But there's another shift in the phraseology. Subtle, but, but uh, it's very telling. Hashem says in Pasuk Kaf, Im kum lech itam, go with them. Ve'ach, and ach means only. However, you can go with them, but you can only say what I want you to say. So the watchword when permission part one was given is the word ach. In Pasuk Lamed Hey, when he's given permission to go lech im anashim, it says ve'efes. Now, Ephes also really sounds like Ach in the sense that, but it can only be like this. The two words, again, almost identical. What's the difference between them? I think the difference between them is that the first time he was given permission, it's only physically to go, but there are restrictions in terms of why he can go. Ach, you can go physically, but it can only be for my purposes. So when the permission to go is itam, the proviso is introduced with the word ach. You can go with them physically, but only for my goals. The second time round, it's already bederach shadamotzelelech. Bilam is allowed to do what he wants. You want to go imahem? You want to go for their reasons? You can do what you want. So now the concluding words are quite different. The efes, meaning nothing will come of it. When you're given permission to go for any purpose that you want, and as nefarious as that may be, so then the concluding words is Ephes, but you should know nothing will come of it. Because in the end, regardless of what you want, you'll only be able to say what I say. So I think the, the transition, one could almost say, from S to Im, also brings a transition from Ach to Ephes. And these, these are the, the classic comments of the, of the Vilna Gaon. And again, it, it reminds us to pay attention not only to Loshan HaKodesh, every word, but also to Rashi, to, to note not only what he says, but where he says it. Could he have said it earlier? Why did he wait? All of these are classic Rashi questions. I'll just mention as a, as a PS, because if you pardon the expression, PS, but the, the, uh, the S and the Im um, question, which now becomes something that one could go throughout the entire Torah and begin to pay attention to, just to, to refer in, in closing uh, for this section to another area where I think it really is, uh, speaks volumes. It's, it's one word, it speaks volumes. In Parshas Chayisara, 
uh, Eliezer asks for kindness twice. The first time he asks for kindness is from Hashem. When he says, <coughs> Hashem, please do kindness with my master Avram and let the right girl be the right girl and let her be in the right place at the right time. That's the first time he asked for kindness. The second time is after everything's happened and he's now with the Mechutanim, with the Lavan and the, and the family, and he also asks them for kindness. He says, if you will do kindness, please send Rivka with me. Two kindnesses. But what's very interesting is they're not phrased in the same way. The first time, when, when Eliezer is talking, offering his prayer to Hashem, he says, Hashem, Elokei, Adoni, Abraham, etc., etc., Va'asei chesed im Adoni, Abraham. Please do kindness with my master, Avraham. The second time, when he's talking to uh, Rivka's family, he says, if you will do chesed ve'emes, es adoni hagiduli. Please tell me. And if not, I'll leave, but tell me either way. So what's very interesting is, when he's talking to Hashem, he refers to, the, he asks for a kindness, im adoni Abraham. But when he talks to Rivka's family, he asks for a kindness, es adoni. And what is the difference between those two? I think that the answer, once again, is based on the Vilna Gaon, because there's two types of kindness. You can perform a kindness for someone else with their interests at heart, or only with your interests at heart. You can do someone a favor, but it has nothing to do with helping the other person. It's only how will you benefit from it? How will the favor be called in? How will this somehow work out well for you? The, the recipient of the kindness is only a tool in that situation, but it's not with their well-being at heart that you bestow any kindness. And this, of course, is the difference between two types of kindness. When, when Eliezer davens that Hashem should perform kindness, so no one, no one is kind to Avram with Avram's own well-being at heart more than Hashem, infinitely so. And that is why he phrases and expresses that kindness that he's asking for with chesed im adoni Avraham. Absolutely together. An absolute alignment of interests. But when it comes to Lavan and Besuel and that whole Hevra, there is no alignment of interests. The only reason that they might possibly consent to have Rivka go and marry into Avram's family will have nothing to do with Avram's well-being. It will have to do with looking out for Lavan and Besuel. So it could be that practically they'll say yes, but that's not a kindness im. That's a kindness s. On an external level, there's a connection. But on any level deeper than that, their interests will, will never coincide. And that's the difference between chesed im and chesed. Such a, a, a shift in, in, in that one word is two completely different worlds of how to perform kindness. Uh, to, to another. And of course, the implicit message for us is to always strive that our kindness to others will be chesed im, and uh, more of the chesed im, less of the chesed s. So if we move now to, to the heart of the Parsha and to discuss a really uh, fascinating concept, and it begins with the most basic of questions. 
We, we don't expect much from Bilam uh, on moral terms. And we don't expect much from him in terms of uh, correct behavior and etc. and so forth. He's depraved, he's wicked, he's selfish, he's vain, he's all of those things. He is, he is even considered to be the Rebbe of Bad Midas in, in, in Pirkei Ovos. I mean, that is a very ignoble distinction. If you have terrible Midas, you got them from Bilam, somehow. And if you didn't get them from him, he, he, it would be a meeting of spirits, uh, no question about it. Um, and yet, he's all of those things, but he's not a fool. In other words, he knows he knows the situation. He's, he would not knowingly orchestrate a circumstance which would bring disgrace on him, which actually is, is what happened in the end. He, he left in disgrace. He came to curse. He ended up blessing. And uh, no one can explain it. And, and but the question that we need to ask is, what exactly is Bilam thinking? As he's heading into the situation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him, quite, in no uncertain terms, and he's quite explicit that he really cannot do anything without Hashem's permission. And Hashem says, if you go, you can only say what I want to say. And Bilam says, okay. And lo and behold, in the end, he can only say what Hashem tells him to say. I mean, how did he not know that? So with what in mind does Bilam actually engage and accept the, the request of Balak? If we put that very basic Parshas Balak question to the side for a moment, you know, there's certain things that only Chazal could say. Others couldn't even be, uh, imagine to say such a thing. And these, these statements kind of send us reeling, but, and, but then we need to understand them. One of the Ikarim uh, Vemuna, the famous Yud Gimel Ikarim, is the uniqueness of the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu, Lo Kambi Yisrael Kamosha Od Navi, which is based on a Pasuk, almost word for word, just a slightly different phraseology, in the end of Parshas Vezosabracha. Velo Kambi Yisrael Navi Od Kamosha. There was never, never was, never will be another Navi in, among the Jewish people like Moshe. And we look at that Pasuk and we're ready to move on. We, we get the, the, the idea and ready to move on. And lo and behold, the Sifrei says, you know, <clears throat> if you look at the Pasuk, it says there was never be Yisrael a prophet like Moshe. But among the nations of the world, there was. Be Yisrael lo come, avabu umos come. Among the nations of the world, there was someone who was like Moshe. And who was that? Bilam. The biggest surprise about Parshas, uh, about the, the prophecy of Bilam, comes from the Sifrei at the very end of the Chumash, Vezos HaBrocha. No, no one saw it coming. But what does it mean? We know that Bilam was uh, elevated to prophet status for the benefit of the Jewish people. However, <laughs> there's got, seemingly has to be some proportion. I mean, you've you got to send him to the top of the class. He's got to be exactly like Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, there's so many other levels of prophecy. I mean, he, he, and he could... He surely a lower level would suffice. You can give him an, an intern level of prophecy or a, something like that, a novice level. He's got to be like Moshe. I mean, that's really, there's a lot of other Nevi'im who would be very happy to be on the, on the level of Bilam. I and mean, they've been working hard all their lives. And, and he gets this honorary promotion all the way to the top. How are we to understand such a thing? It, it seems completely unnecessary. Finally, 
The Gemara in the end of the first parak of Baba Basra uh, discusses m- many, many things. Among them, the authorship, who was it that transcribed and authored the various Sfarim of Tanakh? Some of them would seem quite obvious. Uh, some of them we need to be told. What about Moshe Rabbeinu? Of course, it starts with Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Gemara says that Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who penned three things. Sifro, his Sefer, that is to say he transcribed the Torah, the Chumash. Parshas Bilam, also the Parsha of Bilam, he transcribed. And he wrote Sefer Eov, at least according to that opinion. Of course, Eov is, uh, uh, is the subject of, uh, of much discussion. We'll put him to the side just for the moment. But in any case, our focus is on the earlier part, where it says that Moshe wrote the Chumash and Parshas Bilam. And, and, and that has sent uh, Rishonim uh, in all, all forms of uh, consternation. Because Parshas Bilam, if it's a reference to Parshas Balak, is part of the Torah. If you would envisage the Torah without Parshas Bilam, you are looking at a possible Sefer Torah. If even one letter of Bilam's uh, section is not there, that's not called a Chumash. And we never find that Moshe wrote his Sefer and the, the Sefer or the Parsha of Avram or Yitzhak or Yaakov. I mean, there's many uh, personalities who contributed uh, through their experiences what became the Chumash in the way that Hashem dictated it to Moshe. But how does Bilam again get this honorary mention? Rabbi Yeshua Diskin, the Rav of Brisk, explains... And he begins by referring to a, a very interesting idea which is mentioned in Masecha Sanhedrin and Daf Peites, which deals with matters of Navua there. Of course, Novi Sheker is one of the uh, big uh, discussions in, in Sanhedrin. And there the, the Gemara says, it's a, it's a well-known expression, I believe, Ein shnei nevi'im misnabi'im besignon echad. You never have two nevi'im who will prophesy in exactly the same style or formulation. What that means is if you could envisage the same prophecy being given to two separate prophets, both of them qualified nevi'im, they neither would express it in exactly the same way. And the question is why? Rabbi Shulay Diskin explains, and it's an, it's an older discussion, it's in some respects it's quite a heated discussion, it begins with the Abarbanel in uh, his introduction to Sefer Yirmiyahu, uh, where he is uh, r- responded to by the Nitziv and the Malbim. Uh, there's many who get involved in this. But uh, in any case, the, the approach of, um, that the, the Maral Diskin explains here is that the way Navua works is that you have the Navua message is projected onto the spiritual faculties of the Navi. He receives what you could call Navua energy. He then needs to decipher the message, understand it, and formulate it in the way that he feels is the most appropriate way for it to be formulated. And because no two prophets have the same soul, and, and Navua is projected onto the soul of the Navi. So no two prophets will prophesy in exactly the same way. 
or to say that backwards, it's specifically because Hashem wants the Nevuah to come out in a certain way that He will give it to that Navi. But there is this input, the formulation comes to the Navi. It's for this reason that the requirements and qualifications for Nevuah are so demanding. They demand absolute purity of character. Why? Because you are being entrusted with a message that you now need now to faithfully formulate. If there's any deficiency within the person, that could affect the formulation. And that's why there are such high criteria to qualify for Nevoah. You have to be ab- above. It's still you. It's still your unique Nefesh. But it's your unique Nefesh, 100% faithful to the idea. And interestingly, you know, there's many things that we could say many times and never really stop to ask. But in the bracha that we say before the Haftorah, so it starts, right? Hashem. Asher bachar bin vim tovim. Hashem chooses good nevim. And he, he desires their words, which are said in truth. Everyone knows those, that, 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 that bracha. But if you stop and think about it, it seems to be slightly obvious. In other words, <laughs> what are we saying? Hashem likes the words of the Nevi'im. I should think so. Where did they get them from? From him. So in other words, Hashem gives a message to the Navi. And then the Navi says, Kormar Hashem such and such. And Hashem listens to that and says, I like it. Of course you like it. I mean, you're, you're the source. So what does it mean for And that's why Mepharshim explained it's based on this idea. Because it's really the Navi that formulates. And if they weren't Nevi'im Tovim, Hashem would not be happy with the result. But Asher Bachar bin Vim Tovim. He chooses good Nevi'im. And that's why he's happy with the way that they formulated. Exactly as they should. That's why they were chosen. Very interesting. The only one who... Who, whose Nevoah is on a completely different level, is Moshe Rabbeinu. And what does that mean? What it means is that Moshe reached a level, and this is referred to in the Gemara, it's in Maseches Yevamas and Memtes, as all of the prophets using or viewing Nevoah through Aspaklaria She'enami era, a non-luminous lens, and Moshe views through Aspaklaria Hameira, through a luminous lens. What does that mean? A very, very esoteric uh, sounding sentence. But part of what it means is that each Navi is entrusted with the Navua to formulate it as best he can. And that's exactly what Hashem wants. Only Moshe is able to formulate the Navua in exactly the way that Hashem himself would have said it if he said it in words. That's the luminous lens. That's Baspaklaria Hameira. And it's for this reason that the, the signature that introduces <coughs> Nevoah is different for Moshe than for other Nevi'im. For other Nevi'im, they always start by saying, Ko'amar Hashem. Ko'amar Hashem, as opposed to Moshe, who introduces with the words, Zehadavah. This is the word. The, those two introductions are so similar to each other. Ko'amar Hashem, so says Hashem. Zehadavah, this is the word. <coughs> What's the difference? The difference is that every other Navi, they can't say Zehadavah. They can't say these are the words that Hashem would use. They don't know. They're saying these are the words that I'm using. Hashem has entrusted the Nevuah to me based on my qualifications, and he wants me to say them with my signon. 
It, it is an absolute, accurate presentation. But that's called Koamar Hashem. It's exactly like this, what Hashem said to me. But Moshe says, Zehadavar. These are the words. These are the words that Hashem himself would have used. And that's the uniqueness of Moshe. What we do see from here is that the result, the resulting formulation of the Nevuah is significantly affected by the, by the nefesh slash personality of the Navi. All Nevi'im are Nevi'im Tovim, so the outcome is good. But that brings us now back to Bilam. Because Bilam is being elevated to Nevuah status. And that is why Bilam is quite confident that he will be able to succeed in cursing the Jewish people. Even though Hashem says, you can only say what I tell you to say, quite so. But Bilam knows how Nevuah works. He knows that Nevuah needs to be projected onto the system, the, the spiritual system of the Navi, and he formulates it accordingly. Bilam's spiritual system is the moral equivalent of a sewage system. And therefore, it's his confidence in his own corruption that leads him to be, to be so sure and assured that whatever Hashem, whatever comes in as a blessing is not going to come out as a blessing. It's going to come in as a blessing, it's going to come out as a curse. I mean, there, there are people who are, who are like that, even not within the realm of Nevoah. Uh, give them a compliment and they'll play you back an insult. But uh, Bilam was taking this to an entirely new degree. <coughs> And, if, and therefore, if we wish to know how Bilam could have thought that he would, could be uh, assured of success in cursing the Jewish people, the answer is he knows how prophecy works. And he, it's his confidence in, in his own um, disgusting uh, spiritual faculties that make him feel, bring on the Nevuah, I'll take care of the rest. That's really what Bilam is saying. And thus he went. The question then is, what happened? Because he did really end up saying blessings to the Jewish people. But the answer is in the Pasuk, which says, Vayasam Hashem Davar Befi Bilam. Hashem put words into Bilam's mouth. What does that mean? What it means is that, much to Bilam's surprise and to his great disappointment, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not present him with Nevuah in the normal way, by letting it be projected onto his system and allowing him to formulate the words because that can't, that can't happen. That will, that will have a terrible result. Rather, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says is he, pre, he put the words into Bilam's mouth. In other words, Hashem said, say the following. He circumvented Bilam's system. And it was too late and Bilam had no choice but to say what he was told to say. And that is what Bilam thought would happen, and what ended happening. He thought that it would go through his system and come out as curses, but it wasn't allowed to go through his system. Blessings were put into his mouth. Read here. That's what Hashem said. Say the following. Repeat after me. It turns out, therefore, that there are two people in history who prophesied in exactly, with exactly the words that a Kaddish Baruch Hu would use for completely opposite reasons. They are Moshe and Bilam. And what that means is that 
Moshe was able to rise to the level where even though the Nevoa went through his system, he had the Asbaklari Hameira, which enabled him to intuit, or that even that is an understatement of, uh, to, 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 to access, exactly the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu would say it if he was saying it. No other Nevoa were able to do that because their system didn't, they were able to give a, an absolutely faithful presentation but the formulation was theirs. The signon was theirs. The only other exception was Bilam. But unlike Moshe, who that it could go through a system, and that's how he was able to, to get that result, Bilam only got that result for the most uh, ignoble of reasons, because it wasn't allowed to go through a system. He got the words given to him from the outset. And that is the explanation of the Sifrei in the end of Azos HaBrocha, which says that no other Nevi'im, ever prophesied like Moshe, with the exception of one among the nations of the world, and that is Bilam. And all of this brings us back now to the Gemara in the end of the first parak of Baba Basra, <coughs> which told us that Moshe authored, uh, that is to say, transcribed the Torah and the Parsha of Bilam. And of course, the question is, the Parsha of Bilam is part of the Torah. There are certain Rishonim who understand, I think the Ritva, if I'm not mistaken, the Ritva in there in Baba Basra, <coughs> that when the Gemara talks about the Parsha of Bilam, it is a separate work. It's not talking about Parsha's Balak and the Chumash. It was a separate uh, work, just like, uh, which we don't have anymore. And y- you see how, um, how serious the question is, because the Parsha of Bilam, as it is in the Chumash, is an integral part of the Chumash. So how can it be mentioned separately as something that Moshe wrote? Says Rishuelib Diskin. Why is it that we say that Moshe wrote the entire Torah? Did he, as if to say, it was only through Moshe that we have the content of the Torah. Were there no prophecies given to Avram, or to Yitzchak, or to Yaakov? Why do we ascribe the totality of the transcription of the Torah to Moshe? Certain, I mean, he put it all together. But is that what it's about? He put it all together? Certain of the uh, contents of the, of the Torah had already been transmitted through Nevuah. Says Rav Diskin, yes, they had. But they had been transmitted, and it's fascinating to, to consider it in this way. Hashem had communicated with Avram certain things, and he communicated with Yitzchak and with Yaakov and so on and so forth. Quite so. But as we know, all Nevi'im received their prophecies which means that even as Moshe reviews and records and HaKadosh Baruch who communicates to Moshe what was said to Avram, all of those Nevuas now undergo what we would call an upgrade. That is to say, they move from, from Aspaklaria She'ena Meira, as they were originally said to whoever they were, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and they get raised to the level of Aspaklaria Meira. And that's why the entire Torah is called the Torah of Moshe, because even prophecies that were said before are reset and reformulated through Aspaklaria Meira, and Moshe thus has a hand in everything, even Nevuas that were received prior, with one exception, and that's the Nevuas of Bilam. Because as we've seen, Bilam received the precise formulation because he couldn't be entrusted with the normal nevuah. So the only area in Torah where Hashem had said something to someone already and Moshe has nothing to add, only to write down, but nothing to upgrade or to add or to, to elevate, 
was the parsha of Bilam. And that's why it's not called his Sefer. It's an integral part of the Chumash. But, but Moshe's role with the, the sections of, of uh, Bilam were purely those of transcribing, but not of upgrading or elevating. And that's why it's mentioned as a, as a Sefer in itself. So this is really a classic uh, explanation of the Maral Diskin. It was said in a seum, it's, it's, it's in the Chuvas, uh, a seum la Torah, when, whenever that was, but someone had the uh, good sense to write it down. And uh, it really illuminates so many, not only issues in Parshas Balak, in terms of how, what Bilam is thinking and how things were working, but also in matters of Navua generally, which are not really matters that we, uh, we often go into uh, so much. They're, they're in themselves quite uh, to esoteric, but to get some sense of the framework and how it explains concepts of Ka'amar Hashem, Zehadavar, Aspaklari Hamiira, Einamiira, and so on and so forth, certainly of enormous value in our understanding of this Parsha and beyond. I wish you all the very best. Have a wonderful evening and a great week ahead. Sure, Carl, thank you.